Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, a wrestling history podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 93, and it's going to be a cool one, maybe one that you never thought would happen because my guest this week is one of the most well-known names in pro wrestling media, Brian Alvarez. We'll get to that meeting of the Bryans in just a few moments. Wanted to talk about a few things in the meantime. I don't know why this is, but a lot of the things I want to talk about today have to do with women's wrestling. I'm on kind of a women's wrestling kick. First thing I wanted to do is promote the new, or rather I should say the current issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated on sale with Rhea Ripley on the cover. It is the Women's 250 issue. That would be the January 2024 issue. Inside that magazine, in addition to the entries in the Women's 250 that I contributed, there is also my column, The Way It Was, on perhaps the greatest women's wrestling attraction of all time, Mildred Burke. So please do check that out if you haven't already. The January 2024 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated on sale now at newsstands or get it online at pwi-online.com. And in the next issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the February issue, which goes on sale in December, I'm proud to say that I have the cover story, which will be an interview with Timeless Tony Storm. And I know that she is a current contemporary wrestler, so may may not be known to some of the more old school wrestling fans who listen to the show, but I'm a big fan of her work. I think she's got a great gimmick being a fan of classic movies. It really appeals to me. We had a great conversation. She was fantastic. And it is going to be the cover story of the February issue of PWI, which goes on sale in December. I'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. Keep an eye out for it. And finally, and this is really just amazing, and it's something that I'm so excited about. I'm glad it is happening. But for those of you that have been following, speaking of Mildred Burke, there is a movie coming out about Mildred Burke called Queen of the Ring. And it's based on the book of the same name, which I highly recommend. One of the great wrestling biographies, especially vintage wrestling biographies. But there's a movie that's coming out, and the makers of that film are also making a documentary about that era and about the history of women's wrestling. And I have been asked to participate, and I'm excited to join a list of other people that I respect greatly, including Keith Elliott Greenberg, Greg Oliver... Pat LaProd and others, but they are going to be recording an interview with me in December. So I am really, really excited about that. I'll let everybody know how it goes. Yet another documentary that it will be my privilege to be appearing in, and I'll have more information on that in the weeks to come. But right now, let's get to this week's fascinating conversation with 
Brian Alvarez. Now, I think you're going to really enjoy this because we kind of cross over into both worlds here. Of course, when you are speaking to somebody like Brian, who really has his finger on the pulse of contemporary wrestling with the work that he does, you can't help but make comparisons between the old stuff and the current stuff. So there's a lot of that that you'll find in this conversation. Brian tends to lean a little bit more towards preferring the newer stuff. I tend to lean a little bit more towards preferring the older stuff. But we were really able to cover some interesting material here about what it was like being a wrestling fan, growing up in the 80s, coming of age in the 90s, and then translating that experience into the world of wrestling media. So we've had a lot of similar experiences over the years. We've also had a lot of mutual friends over the years, and this is the first time we've ever actually conversed, even though we've heard a lot about each other over the years. This was our first opportunity to directly interact. And as I mentioned here, I have to thank Mike Sempervivi, who is my colleague on the Wrestling News and other Arcadian Vanguard projects, and he also is a co-host with Brian Alvarez on Wrestling Observer Radio. So it was Mike who was able to make this conversation happen. Thank you, Mike. And I'm going to take you to the conversation right now. Okay, so it is my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome someone to this show who is an instantly recognizable and prominent name in pro wrestling media. He is a radio host, podcaster, and journalist. He's probably best known as the man behind Figure Four Weekly, longtime uh, partner and co-host of Dave Meltzer, and also of a very good friend and colleague of mine, who we may um, tell funny stories about, Mr. Mike Sempervivi. Yes. He's also the author of several books, including The Death of WCW, which I would love to talk about. Uh, you've probably figured it out by now. I'm talking about the one and only Brian Alvarez. Brian, thank you so much for being a guest on Shut Up and Wrestle. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on here. I think this is the first time we've met. I know. I was going to say that. I almost was going to say that before we started recording, but I feel like this should be something that we actually have on the record because I feel like we've known a lot of the same people for yes. 20 plus years. And like, I'll hear your name. I know people who know you that tell me that you know who I am, but we've never actually met or talked or had any interaction at all till now. Yeah, it was actually uh, Semper Bibi that that uh, said, hey, you know, you ever ever want to do, uh, you know, Brian's podcast? And I, I immediately just said yes. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'd known you forever. And then I realized I have known of you forever, but we've never actually met. So nice to yes. meet you. Nice to meet you too. Digitally, virtually nice to finally meet the yes. two Bryans. Now I have to ask, I think if I remember correctly, just from through the grapevine stuff, I mean, I obviously I knew of you when I worked at WWE in those days too, because uh, that was like the Iata days with with Dave, right back in that going that far back. I think that I was done with Iata by the time you went to WWE. You started in two thousand. Started in two thousand. Oh, two thousand. Okay, yeah, we were still yeah. on Iata then. Yeah, yeah, because I remember listening to it. I mean, we would we would yes. listen to it in the office when you know, like the, we could, when Shane wasn't around. You know that kind sure. of thing. We would have. I've told that kind of story here. How we would do. You know, I mean. 
our department, the publications department, probably had per capita the most like actual wrestling fans of any department. And so we we got the observer. I, you know, we would again, we would have to hide it. I've told the story about how Shane walked by my desk once and he saw it on my desk and he goes, What's this doing here? This is this is sacrilege. Sacrilege. And, and meanwhile, you know, I we we knew they all were reading it. In fact, I was kind of the designated person, one of, I'm sure, not the only one, because I was kind of anonymous. I had the subscription, so the subscription would be in my name. But and I'm 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 sorry to to Dave for this, but we would make many copies of this issue that I would get, and it would go all over the building. So like it would go, it would go to all the people who didn't want to have their name on the subscriber sure, list, yes. that kind of thing. So I would be making my way up to the fourth floor, you know, uh, handing them out, handing them out in my department. I, we did that for years. And in fact, when I left, this was the funny thing. I say left, that's a euphemism. When they fired me, I took the subscription with me, which they weren't happy about. But see, I took great pleasure in doing that because the the subscription was in my name. Yes. And I remember Dave emailed me. I think it might have been the first contact we ever had directly. And he emailed me and he goes, I just want you to know that your friends at WWE are trying to steal your subscription because I guess wow. they, they tried to like bump my name off of it, but it kept coming to my house after I left. So yeah. but that is just to say that I've been, you know, I've been following you guys work for a long time. And I think I'm under the belief that you were aware of my work back then too. Yes. Yes. I've, I've known your name forever. It seems like <laughs> that's the weird thing. Now I've been doing this so long that, you know, it's like I've had experiences. Well, I'll, I'll meet somebody like Bill Apter or George Napolitano or somebody. And I'll say, Hey, you know, um, I've been reading your, your stuff. And since I was a child and you know, it, it shaped who I am as a fan and everything. And then now those kind of things happen to me, which is really strange and unexpected. It's like, I don't, sometimes you don't think like anybody was actually reading that stuff back then, you know, but, oh, but man, they were. I could, I could talk for hours about this. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in the studio. This is, you know, a room upstairs in our house. We've turned into a studio here, but I'm, I'm just all by myself. And right now I'm talking to you. And whenever I whenever I do a show, it's a little different now because we have Twitch and YouTube. And so we have a live chat. And so I can actually see that there are people that are listening and responding to the show. But, you know, before we did video, it's like we did all of these shows. And obviously I knew people listened because we had subscribers and everything, obviously. But it never felt like anybody was listening. It felt like it was me and Dave. You know, me and Vinny and we just, you know, do whatever. And, you know, same thing when I when I wrote the newsletter, it's like I knew people got it because I had the mailing list and I mailed it to people and they subscribed. But when you're doing it, you never actually think that anybody is listening or reading. <laughs> right. And uh, I remember one of the first uh, one of the first people. Um, Actually, this wasn't one of the first, but I, I just just popped into my head when you mentioned that I was at some event and uh and shark boy was there <laughs> yeah and uh I, I i don't remember how it came about but i i went up and i said hi to shark boy or whatever and and he was like oh my god brian Allen. like he was a reader and it is like it like blew my mind that uh you know shark boy is and the same thing happens nowadays like you know uh tom and i were doing a show the other day 
And uh, he starts making, he's talking about some referee in MLW and he's kind of doing something about this referee. And then, you know, 10 minutes after the show ends, the referee's on Twitter going, I see Tom threw me under the bus. And Tom's like, oh my God, I didn't think he was a listener. And it turned out that he was, he was a listener. So it's still, even to this day, you know, we went to uh, Wembley and we had a big Q and A and a big, and then you'd have all these people that are there and, you know, we came to see you and can you sign this? And they, they have the book and it's like, wow, it really, it, it, it just, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. It's, it's always weird to me when you find out, my God, this person, even you telling me this story about you guys listening to it at, you know, WWF and hiding from Shane. It's like, what? Okay. Yes, well, we did. And I've told this story before, but since you're here, it bears repeating when people, People are so sick of this story. It's almost like whenever I'm on anybody else's show, they're like, oh, God, Solomon's going to tell this story again. But um, I was in a boardroom meeting at, where Dave, where, where um, Vince McMahon told me to take my head out of Dave Meltzer's ass. So, wow, that that's one of my biggest claims to fame. Uh, that, <laughs> wow. and, and, the, and the funny thing was it had nothing to do with Dave. It was just we were pitching. He just assumed that we were all reading it. It was just his assumption, yeah. because here's the thing. I'm pretty positive that he also read it. I mean, if he if he didn't read it, he had people that were reporting the highlights to him at the very yes. Least. Because yes. I know that some of the people I was delivering it to were the one degree of separation from. Yes, him. I, I remember. You know, I, I'd heard stories about you know people had seen the Observer on Vince's desk, and then you know I'd, I'd heard people mention that uh, Howard Finkel was one of the guys who would read it, and then he would report uh, you know pertinent things to Vince, but. Yes, you know, that, it's I can just a confirm weird thing that. Back then, it's like, uh, you know, don't be seen reading this thing. And nowadays, there's still the, uh, in, it's mostly in WWE. It's like you're not supposed to talk to to Dave or myself. But I, I don't think there's that thing today about well, you can't read the Observer site. I mean, it seems like it's not a big deal to read wrestling websites now. But it's to harder. talk to people. Right. Well, it's harder to control. That's the thing. It's like when yeah. it was just a printed newsletter. You can clamp down on it. You could, sure. you know, the internet has changed so many things now. It's just, you can't even, you know, you can't fight the tide of this, these technologies and things. It's like, I remember I'm old enough to remember when you went to a wrestling show, they wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't allow you to video record anything. It was like, they'd yeah. kick you out of the building if they caught you. But now that everybody's got a camera in their pocket, it's just like, Oh, we give up. We can't fight it. So, it, yes. you know, it, it was kind of like that, but, but I mean, look, He'd be foolish not to read it, especially especially in the pre-internet days, because it was it's like the it, it's a trade publication. I mean, that, like that, that's the best way to describe it. And I remember hearing a story about how uh, in Memphis, where it was also like, you know, forbidden um, that Lance Russell was one of the biggest readers and supporters and lovers because he got it. He understood what the value of it was. Well, I mean, before before I uh, did IATA with Dave, I mean, we did the the Wrestling Observer newsletter hotline, the 900 line. And uh, and Lance Russell was the guy that did the menu. Well, there you go. We were like, hello, wrestling fans. Uh, option number two today. I remember the first time ever that he was like, it was Lance <laughs> Russell explaining what I was talking about on the Wrestling Observer hotline. I was like, wow, this thing's yep. this pretty cool. But that's the thing. Like you said, when you encounter people... I don't know what it is. And maybe it's because I started really in print. I started with magazines before anything else. And sometimes you get, you forget, you think you're doing it in a bubble and you don't realize that in some cases, I know what I was doing, there could be 
hundreds of thousands of people, if if not more, that are reading this and and you know, and then there's the yeah. weird thing, like you said, where I'll meet somebody. Like I, I even it's not just fans now. I have the experience where I'll meet wrestlers or that I'll have to interview or talk to or whatever. And they'll say to me, Oh wow, oh my god, I was reading uh WWF magazine when I was a kid and I read all your articles, and it's like you have to stop. Like I'm I'm finally at that age now, which I never really thought about reaching, but I'm at the age now where there is there are almost no active wrestlers on national television at least who are older than I am. <laughs> so that that's a milestone. We're about the same age, so I'm assuming you've had similar realizations. Oh, I I uh well, I mean, I, I you probably know this, but like I mean, I held Nick Wayne when he was 0. I mean, I've I've known, you know, now I see him on national television and it's like you know, we we did a, a you know, Vinny and I did a, a wrestling match up for YouTube in like 2006. And it was in Buddy Wayne's backyard. We set up the the ring back there. And then, you know, for for probably 15 years, you know, people on the Internet were like, oh, my God, Brian got, you know, hip tossed into a kiddie pool. Like it was some humiliating thing, even though it was a spot that was done to humiliate me. But uh, now it's different because that was Nick's pool that he would go in when he was one. Just a little <laughs> kiddie pool in the backyard. So, yeah, I feel uh, ancient. I got one. Uh, hook. So, Tyler, Sinerkia, I, uh, I I worked at WWE when uh, one of my first assignments when I got there, Taz was throwing out the first pitch at Shea Stadium, which is a huge deal because he's a huge Mets fan. And... Um, Brian Gewertz came because he he's a huge Mets fan. And we were in the box like we, after he threw out the, the pitch, we were sitting in one of the I'm using air quotes, but luxury box. Yes. At Chase, for anyone who's been to Shea Stadium, that's definitely um, a euphemism. But um, he I, I went to I remember I had to sit and babysit Tyler, who is hook, he, who was like two years old. Yeah. And, you know, like when Taz had to get up and do things, I had to sit there and watch him. I took him to get, you know, French fries and stuff, brought him back to his sit, sat him down in his little stroller. Yeah. Everything. Those are the moments where you just feel you just feel time just slipping away, you know. Yes, what has happened to our lives? <laughs> Cuz I don't feel I don't think of myself in that way like I'm, you know, what I mean like I still think like I'm in my 20s, which I'm not at all. I definitely have days where I feel uh, much older than I am. Oh, physically. My body reminds me all the time. But in my head, it's like I still have this thing in my head that I'm, you know, that my brain needs to catch up um, to my body, I think. Yes. But it also, you know, one of those things about it is then you start to realize how long, how much of your life you've been, you've been (laughs) giving to wrestling. It's really incredible. It's one of those things where... You know, I, I was a fan from when I was a kid and everybody always says at that age, you know, you, you're going to grow out of it and you're going to not care about it anymore. And you see that happen with a lot of your friends when you're growing up and some of them will be like, you're still watching that. You, you still what would you why do you still, you know, because I started I started really closely following it when I was about 12 years old, which I feel like was even kind of old for most kids to be starting to watch. Yeah, I, I started watching it about 12 and, right. uh, you know, my, my sister had watched it before me and she would have been eight or nine. 
And when she started watching it, like I, I, I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with it. I thought it was stupid. She had like a Hulk Hogan poster. I, I just hated that thing. And then uh, it was only a couple of years later that, you know, my my dad's mom moved in and she was she was Mexican. She spoke no English and she just would say Lucha. She wanted to watch Lucha, which ended up being wrestling. And so I had to put wrestling on for her after school and just kind of sit with her. They wanted me to kind of sit with her and just watch wrestling with her. I was like, oh, God, this wrestling thing again. But I watched it and I started to like it. And then, you know, it was one of those deals where. I don't know how long it was. I didn't watch it for very long. And then it's me and my buddies. We got to start a wrestling thing right here. And we got to, you know, we did the whole backyard thing. And then, you know, we moved on from from the backyard thing to, I mean, we actually ran shows. We had a, a public access television show. We ran live events. I mean, we sold tickets. You know, we did all of that. I was 16 uh, when we started doing that. So, I mean, if you look at it from that perspective i wasn't really working in the business but i was i mean it wasn't you know it was our own thing but it was it was we ran wrestling shows right and that was uh you know 30 40 30 i'm not very good at math but it was a long time ago and then you think god i've been doing i've been doing this in in some form or another i have been doing this for over 30 years now <laughs> which is a yeah. long time yeah, I'm right there with you because um, when I first started, 32. yeah, I've been watching it. I've been following it for 36 years, but I've started writing and doing things and like kind of covering it um, in college because I had um, I had a, a column in the newspaper that I pitched and the whole thing in the school paper. You know, they were like rolling their eyes at me, but it was it was a you know wrestling column, and I was covering. Um, local indie shows in the neighborhood newspaper for nothing like it was a volunteer newspaper i'd go down there with my black and white camera do the whole thing and this so this is probably like 94 when i started doing this kind of stuff yeah so it's been almost 30 years for me now too if you include all that yeah and the wwe thing you know that came later when i had almost given up on you know really doing anything with it i was like okay now i need to be uh a, a normal person <laughs> i can still watch it but you know i need to like have like a normal job and and then my normal job became that which is the last thing that i ever imagined it was almost it was this weird thing it's like everybody said to me at the time they were like this is almost like the plot of a movie or something like because you of everyone we know you would be the one person that we would have to say, oh, my God, this guy's going to work for WWE or WWF yes. at the time. It, it almost felt scripted. Like, this is kind of weird how this is happening, you know, because I just fell into it. I mean, I wasn't I was not even really pursuing it. I just saw an ad in The New York Times and just answered because I was just looking for anything. And I just answered it like almost like a joke. Because at the time I was living in Brooklyn, I wasn't even in Connecticut. And it, I mean, it was like driving distance, but I was like. You know, I'm not I don't even know if I want to drive to Connecticut every day, but what the hell? We'll give it a shot. And then I wound up, you know, getting it. Well, it does tell everybody how old you are because you answered an ad in the newspaper. <laughs> yes. It, an actual classified the New York yes. Times. Now, the New York Times 
doesn't even have that anymore. I mean, all yeah. of their I mean, they have a print newspaper still, but all their classified stuff is online. You can't even yeah. like that doesn't even exist anymore. But yeah, like I had the pen circled a big ad like like you see, you know, on a, in a movie or something. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's literally what I did. But with you. um, So when you started watching, when you were watching with your with your grandmother, I don't know, maybe you weren't watching with her, but was that WWF or was it something else? Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was WWF. And I watched it kind of, you know, whatever, until about I'd say from about 1989 is when I when I started having very vivid memories. And then I think it was WrestleMania six was the first pay-per-view I made my parents buy. And then I think I bought like every pay-per-view from that point forward. And I'm talking like, I don't, I can think of maybe, I mean, maybe one of the crown jewels, because there was a crown jewel. It was one where it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, was it Sean and Hunter against Undertaker and Kane? It was some, yes. some match like that. Shawn Michaels made his, his return from retirement and I did watch that match but I did not watch that whole pay-per-view because I was wrestling in Chicago and I was flying home the day the but like the point is that's I could probably count on one hand the number of WWE pay-per-views I have not watched since 1990 every last single one of them see I got out of it after I left the company. I definitely had a couple of years where I was like, do not ever show me wrestling again. There was like about two or three years. Sure. Other than that gap, I definitely had a streak that was ridiculous. It wasn't quite 1990 because I didn't have cable yet. So like I had to sort of run to people's houses to see the shows. But once I got cable myself, which is like 92, um, I seriously think, the first, I, this is okay. The first pay per view I missed, I know when it was because I was getting married. <laughs> it was June of 1999. I believe it was the Great America. Uh, it was WCW, June yep. 99. It was the show where they had Master P. Okay. Was, so it might have been, I think it was Great American Bash or Bash at the Beach or something, 99. And it was, this was the June. Actual- June of yeah June June, June um, was usually Great American Bash. Okay, I think Bash so, to the Beach. I think was July. This was June thirteenth, thirteenth. Maybe it was yes. the other way around. Anyway. June thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and I I should have looked it up. But um yeah, that was the first one that I had ever missed in seven years since I first got cable. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I mean it was the Master P one, so I guess it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I've I've uh when I when I first started watching, I uh very shortly thereafter got a VCR and uh I taped everything. Like I taped the pay-per-views, I taped primetime wrestling, I taped superstars, and the first apartment that I got had an outdoor storage uh closet or whatever. And from I mean it was milk cartons of all of these videotapes of just everything you know all of these pay-per-views all of these raws all of these like everything i had all of these tapes and then uh i moved out and it was a lot of tapes <laughs> and i was like man i don't know and i threw them all into the dumpster all of these tapes and 
I remember the time, you know, I still had the, uh, I had the newsletter. There was, I guess, I guess we were still doing uh sports byline, but anyway, on some show, I mentioned that I threw all these WWF videotapes out from about 1990 through 2000, whatever. And man, people were so mad. They were like, they didn't actually threaten me with death, but they were like, I cannot believe you threw all of those away. My God. And then like a few years later, there's a WWE network and they're all up there now. So it's no big deal. But at the time, that's what you had to do was, was videotape. And I would watch those things like, you know, nowadays you watch a PLE or whatever they call them now, the pay-per-views and it's over and you never watch it again. And back then, you know, that WrestleMania six, I can't even tell you how many times I watched that over and over on videotape. I just, you just watch them over and over and over again. And then, you know, primetime wrestling, I would watch primetime and it was every Monday night. But I didn't stay up that late, so I I tape it, and then the next day I'd watch what I didn't see, and then there's no wrestling the next day, so I'd watch it again, and I'd watch all the matches I loved. So it's funny because we go back sometimes. For a while, we were doing a retro raw review. We were going back and watching the 1992 and 1993 raws, and I mean there were matches on there like, you know the the Ric Flair Mr. Perfect Loser Leaves Town match where. It's not just that I remember the match happened, but like I would watch the match and I would remember every single spot before they did it because I'd watched it so many times when I was a kid. So yeah, I uh I, yeah. I was I was very much into uh WWF until Nitro started actually. And then I watched every Nitro, every Thunder, every pay-per-view. I even watched every Nitro and every Thunder twice because I reviewed them a second time. Which is a fate worse than death. Don't recommend for anybody. <laughs> well, I had a friend. We used to uh, get together. I would go over his house usually, and we would do the old switch back and forth the oh. whole night. Raw nitro, no. raw nitro, raw nitro. That's the way we did it. And it was whoever, you know, whatever was happening that we more wanted to check out, we would stay with that. And then if yes. it would start to get boring, we would go see what the other show's doing. Go, go over the other show. And we did that for years i mean however long it lasted for we did it and but see the other thing about raw because when raw first started in 93 and i was at the first one at the manhattan center i was there and i used to tape it every week it was it was such a big deal because especially if you were following the wwf there never had been a show that wasn't just all squash matches it was really just yeah. You know, superstars in challenge were almost always just squash matches. There might once in a while be a halfway decent mid-card competitive match. But Raw, yes. now Raw wasn't as hot as it would get later on where like every show now is almost like, um, you know, they have these like pay-per-view level marquee matches. But when it started to get like that, I would tape it because I would rewatch the episode every single week. Like I can't even, I can't even get through it on the first run now. But then I would watch it, I would tape it, and I'd watch it again at some point during the week to, just to kind of like soak in everything that was happening because it was like there hadn't really been a show like that before. Well, it was also a lot easier because the show was only an hour when it yes. first started. Yes. And, you know, it's an hour. And, I mean, nowadays you got three hours of Raw, two hours of NXT, two hours of AEW, uh, two more hours of WWE Friday and an hour of AEW and two hours of AEW on Saturday. And there's almost always some pay-per-view or something. It's like, you don't have time, even if you wanted to. And right. I, I mean, there's a lot of modern matches today from both companies. And uh, like 
Bronston Reed and Gunther. Loved that match. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Now watching it again. Because I can't. <laughs> I've got right. another show I gotta watch. I gotta watch NXT or whatever. Right. So I mean, if I it, it's just it's funny because there there are matches from you know the nineties that you know some people would argue this, but I'm not that old. I mean, the matches today in general are way better. But I mean, there were there were very good matches in the nineties that I probably watched dozens of times. And there are matches today that are just incredible, incredible matches. And I've watched them one time and I will probably never watch them again. Well, Unless I get... do some sort of rewind, like a rewatch in, in 15 years. But I mean, it's just, there's so much now compared to back then. And back then, what yeah. else did you have to do on a Saturday? You didn't have a phone to mess around on. It was like, right. you played outside or you watched wrestling. And But you get, you you can also, you get very numb to it now because there's so much of it. And it's moving at such a fast, accelerated pace. You know, back then everything moved slower. You know, there was there was less TV to keep up with. the The storylines and angles moved a lot slower. Um, it was just everything you could focus on it more. And I wonder if you know, for a, for a young fan who doesn't know anything different than you know today, I I don't know. Maybe they don't feel the same way, but it does feel like you had the ability to kind of dwell on it more and go back to it and more. Oh, maybe, true, it's, yeah. maybe it's because we didn't have as much going on in our lives. I don't know. But for me, like, for example, for you, what WrestleMania six was um, for me, it was SummerSlam 91 and I didn't have cable yet. So I had watched it at, at my neighbor's house and I had taped it off their TV. That was the one that had Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. And um, I know that match move for yes, move. exactly. And I watched I, that match. Hundreds of times it feels. I can't even tell you how many times exactly. And I, I could, I do the same thing. I could sit there, every little detail, like at the when he pulls off Mr. Perfect singlet and part of it rips off, and like the whole, you know, he puts him in the sharpshooter and he submits like almost instantaneously. Yep. It's almost like uh, Earl Hebner didn't even wait. He just immediately started calling for the bell. All those little things from watching it so many times. And I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if. There are young fans who do that with the stuff now. I don't. Maybe there are. I don't know. I I can't imagine it because if you're like a hardcore WWE fan, it's like there's there's too much to watch to rewind stuff. Yeah. Like you know, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, whatever the pay per view is. I mean, you may go back and watch some things, but you know, I think now it's like, you know, people watch the show, and you know, if you look at uh, the ratings pattern, it's not even like they watch the whole show. Like a right. lot of fans today, they pick and choose what they're going to watch. And then, you know, I think they watch clips online. They probably watch clips on YouTube and, and that sort of thing. So there, there's, I can't imagine that people young, like people, you know, 14, 15, watch wrestling today the way that we used to watch wrestling. It's just, yeah. it's not designed that way anymore. No, it's not. That's a good point. And I know I, <laughs> I swore I wasn't going to dwell on current wrestling, but there was an issue because, I mean, I cover it too. So, I mean. Uh, this show is my oasis, but I cover it too. And, you know, Nick Khan had this thing that he said, which really crystallized it for me, where he was like talking about numbers with the show and everything. I think it was on one of these calls. And he was bragging about the amount of time that people will spend watching, let's say, Monday Night Raw. He was bragging yeah. that the average person watches like almost half the show or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm thinking like, 
what a strange brag that is. I mean, I mean, like, I can't imagine Vince saying that, you know, like years ago, like, oh, our viewers watch almost half our show. But now I guess maybe that now is it is a brag. an accomplishment. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I had so many friends who watched wrestling when I was a kid and like there were none of us that watched half of Raw. Right. It was like you watch the whole show. Who would watch half of the show? That doesn't even make sense. You would watch the entire show. But nowadays, I mean, people always ask, like, what would you do if you if you didn't if this wasn't your job? And uh, yeah, I don't know the answer because it is my job. You know, I can I can hypothesize, but, um, you know, I don't know if I would watch everything because, you know, it's just maybe I would. I, I don't know. I mean, I would certainly watch it differently. I mean, you know, I I, I would prefer not to have to take notes as <laughs> I watch all of these shows. That's it's just but, you know, when I don't because I've tried it both ways, I've I've tried the way where I watch the show. I write all my own notes. I use those. And I've tried the way where I don't take notes. I try to pay closer attention by not taking notes. And then I try to use somebody else's report for my notes. And it doesn't work. So I'm forced to take notes on virtually every single show that I watch. And, you know, I mean, it's not that it's more time consuming, but there's just so much more that goes into it. I, I think that as, as a fan... You know, I'd like to just kind of sit and watch the show more as opposed to having to analyze it and, and you know, write down everything people are saying in promos. But, you know, I don't know what I would watch and what I wouldn't watch, but I do know that I'm a fan. So it's not like, you know, if, if this all went belly up tomorrow, it's just like I'd never watch wrestling again. I mean, that right. absolutely would not happen. Yeah, and I mean, I feel the same way. I'm still a fan. I'm one of those people that um, I, my preference is old school stuff it just is like i'd rather watch an episode of i'd rather watch a saturday night's main event you know from 1985 than any episode of raw and smackdown but that's just my preference but i still follow everything currently happening there's a lot of people that sometimes they gravitate you know they'll only watch the old stuff and they don't follow it anymore or there's people that follow wrestling today but they don't care about the old stuff and i kind of like I try to take it all in, but I, I sometimes think that when you analyze it, because I do the same thing, I have to do it. Um, it sometimes causes, and I think even fans are guilty of doing this, even people that don't do it for a living, people that are online. It sometimes causes all of the shortcomings and things to be even more noticeable and take away from the enjoyment of the show. Like I'll give you an example when the, the thing I always, that drives me nuts is when people criticize shows, current shows, they'll always talk about, look, there's plenty to criticize. There, there always is. But the thing that I never holds water with me is they'll always say, well, nothing really important happened. There weren't any title changes or it was no major storylines moved forward. And for me, it's like, you know, go back and watch you know an early wrestlemania go back and watch most saturday night live a saturday night's main event or you know one of the one of the msg shows on on the msg network right from the 80s you know what happened on a lot of those shows what really happened not a whole lot it's it, nothing that's going to change your life or move the earth there you know there, there's some shows where you could say that about about that show nothing major happened but but it was still a really, really good entertaining show. Like what I'm saying is not every, if, if you hold up even the most 
you know, celebrated old shows to that kind of magnifying glass, they're not going to hold up. And that's why to me, good show, quote unquote, all it means to me is, was it entertaining? Was it a good show? Did it hold my attention? Was it fun? Was it exciting? Like, I'll go to a house show. I love going to house shows. House shows are fun. Because there's great matches, you know. There's not a lot of, there's not like 20-minute promos, which you get sick of. But nothing, by their litmus test, nothing really, quote-unquote, happens. But I don't care. I just want to be entertained by a good wrestling show. And I feel like that gets lost a little bit sometimes today. Well, I think, I mean... I, I have made that complaint, and I will tell you uh, one difference between uh, what happens today and what happens back then. You know, if you go back to Saturday night's main event, or you go back to a WWF pay-per-view from whatever, 1992 or whatever. Or even like I a mean, Clash of the Champions. Those Clash of the Champions, great whatever. Shows. So the, the thing to me is is, even if there were no title changes, no heel turns, no nothing, there was something special in the show, and that is you actually got to see these stars wrestling each other. So that was the special thing that you got. Nowadays, I think it was actually the last WWE pay-per-view. Was it Was it Fastlane we just saw? What was yes. the last WWE pay-per-view? Fastlane, yeah. Fastlane. So when Fastlane was over, I had the exact complaint that you hate. <laughs> I was like, nothing happened on this show. And to me, the thing is, if you're going to be giving me three hours of Raw every Monday, and you're going to give me two hours of SmackDown every Friday, and then on top of that uh, 12 plus 20 hours, on top of that 20 hours of television I've been giving you, you're going to give me a pay-per-view event, and you're going to do nothing? I cannot stand for that. You have to give me something. I don't care what it is. Have somebody turn heel have some angle happen. It was like, I'm watching Fastlane, and it's like, yeah, she was fine, you know? And there's like a match, and then there's another match, and then there's another match. And then finally we get to, it was like Seth and Nakamura. And I'm like, okay, man, they're going on last, okay? Why are they going on last? They got to have something, okay? They got to have something happening here to go on last. I watched the match, and like, it's fine, and then I'm thinking, okay, Nakamura's got to win. Like, we got to have something here. They've done this back injury gimmick forever. And, like, this is their second match and blah, oh, blah, blah. You really thought and he so, was going to win? Come on. And so Seth wins. And I'm like, okay. And by the way, I was watching on replay. I was watching on replay. So when Seth won, there was, like, for some reason, there was eight minutes left. So then I'm really thinking, okay, we got to have something, right? What could they possibly fill eight minutes with if not some big angle here? Somebody's going to show up. Jade Cargill can show up and attack Seth for all I care. <laughs> but, like, nothing happened. They just showed a video of the show. And when it was over, I went, I just watched four. I just watched my fourth hour of WWE this month, and they didn't do anything on this show. So, no, I could not stand for that one. And the funny thing <laughs> is, like, on almost every pay-per-view, they do something but this one they decided nope we're not going to do anything but don't you it's over and i was like oh my god <laughs> that was just a show i can't handle a show in 2023 but like there's you... too much wrestling to just i know i agree with you show. but i agree with you but even just by the the virtue of like what we're saying that there's so many hours of tv and there's so many hours every week how yes. can you maintain that 
if you constantly have to fill that up with all these kind of riveting storyline changes and turns sure. and title changes, like how in the world can you keep that pace up? It's almost well, like, you can't. And you, you know can't. what? You can't. I know we're talking about modern wrestling, but if you look at Raw and SmackDown since since Vince was largely out of the picture, okay. And granted, he would still change things here and there and he would do whatever, but it was largely Hunter's show. Yes. And we got to the point where they would actually advertise a match and then deliver and advertise a match and deliver, which we didn't have with Vince. He, Hunter has slowed it down a lot. He's slowed he it down a lot compared he has. to Vince. I mean, the and, long, and, longer you know, title changes, I think that's all him. That's a lot. Yeah, of, of I, I don't think book. that you need to do like a bunch of stuff on every show. But I do think that when you're providing so much content, which they're doing, if if you're going to ask people to give you four hours on a Saturday, in addition to all of this other stuff, like, give me one thing. That's all I ask is give me one thing on that show where when it's over, you feel like, okay, I'm glad I watched that because I got to see this. You should never end a pay-per-view where I sit there and I think, if I had not watched this show, it would make no difference whatsoever to my life. There well, should one, always be something there that, that, that I can I... take away from it. One thing I noticed about that, and this will this will take me back into the past again, but it connects to this, is um, I started to notice, and th this goes back to, I guess, the Attitude Era, or just whenever the TV ratings started to really matter. So yes. late 90s, around that era, you know, when Russo was really doing things over there and stuff, and, and Bischoff and, and WCW and everything, um, it's they came to the realization that there's more people that are watching raw, let's say, than are watching the pay-per-view, number one. And number two, we we are more concerned now, or we're becoming more concerned with the ratings on Raw and how many people are watching it. So they started getting they started actually making the conscious decisions of the things that would have happened on the pay-per-view. Now we're gonna save for Raw. Yes. Because that's where we have the most eyeballs on it. And I think that's when a lot of that started to shift because I agree with you to a certain extent. There was when we were kids and you were watching the big shows, there was especially a WrestleMania, but a big show. You had this feeling, this unspoken thing, you and your friends, it would always be like, somebody's going to turn. There's going to be like some big yep. memorable, you know, Rick Martel leaving Tito Santana, breaking up strike force. So he gets beat up by the brain busters and all that, like something like that is going to happen. There's obviously going to be some major title change or something. You did have, yes, a certain expectation on yes. those really big shows that you'd see that every time. And now, right, even on some of those, you don't. Well, the funny thing about, about ratings in the in the 90s is, you know, ratings first became important to the people involved, like right when Nitro started. When yes. that when that first Nitro, you know, because because actually even before that, because before Nitro debuted, everybody was hypothesizing like, you know, what's going to happen here? Raw's doing these numbers. They're going to start this WCW show. And oh, my God, you know, we're going to split the audience, blah. And it didn't happen. Like we got this brand new audience for Nitro. And then, you know, the numbers were close from the get go. And so that's when people were like, OK, well, you know, this became a thing. And then, you know, we had the streak and everything like that. But the funny thing is. You know, now it is important to get ratings because your number one revenue generator is your television deals. Exactly. And in the 90s, 
it was all about ego. There was <laughs> no real monetary, like, great, you know, Nitro beat Raw. They like, weren't even getting any really great advertisers, no, no matter what their mean, ratings were. It didn't were. mean anything. It was all for people's egos to be able to say that our show beat the other show. And that was the big issue with Vince Russo. And, you know, I actually, I don't fully blame him for this, even though it probably sounds like I often do. Because when they signed him, they put escalators in his contract directly related to TV ratings. You're talking about when WCW signed him? Yes, when WCW signed him. They, they did not put in like, oh, man, you know, if our pay-per-views go up 10%, we're going to give you X amount. If, if uh, you know, you start – if uh, house shows start doing uh, increase, we'll give you a, a bonus based on that. It was all about ratings. And so, like, if you hire a guy – and he's getting nothing for increased pay-per-view numbers. He's getting nothing for increased ticket sales, the gate or whatever. But he is getting an increase for ratings. Then obviously all of his efforts are <laughs> going to be going to television. And all of a sudden you've got all this crazy stuff on television. You've got pay-per-views that are like, they're just meaningless. It doesn't matter. He's not getting anything for them. And, you know, that was one of the things that really started. I mean, WCW was snowballing long before he got there. But that was kind of one of the big things was there was so much of an emphasis on we need to increase the visibility of something that is making us no money at the expense of things that are actually <laughs> making us money now. And now here we are, it's 2023, and like everything's flipped. Like the PLEs, they get nothing for them. No, there's I mean, not even a price money. tag anymore. It's just Yeah, know. they've already made their money. So, I mean, you want them to do well because in 2026 or whatever, you want to get a good deal for uh, whatever you do if you leave Peacock or whatever. But in general, like now, it's all about how do we boost Raw ratings? How do we boost NXT ratings? How do we boost SmackDown ratings? Because that's where the money is coming from. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, really, before... It's funny that you say it. I mean, I, I never thought about how <laughs> back in the 90s, when the ratings started to be treated as as if they were important, they really still still weren't that important. No, and at least not any more important than they had been before. I mean, you always wanted as many people as possible to watch the show, but the difference was the weekly shows in those days before that they were not considered an end in and of themselves. It was a means to an end. We want people to watch this show because we're trying to get them to buy stuff. Whether yes. it be the pay-per-view, whether it be merchandise, whether it be tickets to a live event. Like you were nobody was sweating and agonizing. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Nobody was agonizing over the quarter hours of wrestling challenge. You, you know what I mean? No. That, that was not really happening. Um, it was just the idea of yes, we're trying, especially when they were expanding, we're trying to get in as many markets as possible, and we want to get on these stations and we want to get syndication and all that stuff. But it's because we're trying to sell stuff. It's not, you know, we're not trying to be the number one rated show, you know, in that market or in that time slot. We're trying to sell stuff to our fans. So, you know, television was such a very different animal back then. Well, yeah, I mean, you can look at uh, observers from the early 90s and, you know, buried in the WWF section is, you know, Monday Night Raw did a 2.4 rating. And then it's just there. There's no commentary, nothing. And then you'll see in the WCW section, Saturday night did a 2.6, which is more than 2.4. But nobody made a big deal out of it. 
it didn't matter what show did a better rating back then. Right. But then you see um, like, oh, you know, these WWE shows, you know, this one grossed, uh, you know, 10,000. This one grossed, you know, 14,000. This WCW show grossed 6,000. Like that was a comparison. It was like, man, no one's buying tickets to these WCW shows. But, you know, WWF is doing well or whatever. Back then it was like, well, the comparison is money. Like who's making the most money? How did your pay-per-view do? How did how'd you do at the gate for this big show right here? Nobody cared about your rating. It was it was completely irrelevant back then. And that's also what de-emphasized the house shows too, because um, you know, it it started at one point, that's what it was all about. How many, how many tickets are we selling? And then when it started getting to the point where um they were breaking even on house shows or maybe making like you know, a few thousand dollars on a house show or something like that. It it really became more about the house show. The house shows today are more about keeping the talent, you know, sharp and like trying things out and, te- you know, uh, um, trying out a match or making sure that people don't get rusty. It, it's no longer seen as, a, I mean, I'm sure they love selling as many tickets as possible, but it's not a huge revenue center anymore. It's that's that's no. not really the main reason for them anymore. I, I think there was a period a few years ago where like, you know, WWE house shows, the attendance was such that you could actually make an argument. Is this even worth it? Yeah, but, they we're saying uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the last in the last 18 months, especially in the probably actually since I'd say in the last six, eight months or so, I mean, there's some a lot of tickets for pay-per-views. I don't think you would have that argument anymore. Should we should we should we kill off pay-per-views? Because they, they are now decent revenue generators. Nothing like TV or anything like that. But you know, right. they're they're selling tickets to house shows and they're selling a lot of merch. So uh, you know, it's back it's back to these being meaningful. Um, but obviously not like the old days where, you know, house show, man, these matches you were gonna get to see at this. Yeah, house they would show. tell you, you never what... see this on television. Right. And, and, and I remember the, the changing, the shifting of the times when, cause I would go to all the New York area house shows back in the day when it, when it got to a certain point where they were no longer putting the cards inside the programs. So you didn't know what matches you were going to see. It yeah. was almost like, you know, there was no announcement of what matches are coming next time anymore. It was just like, you know, we're coming. That's all you need to know. Are you going to be here or not? Like there was no, there was no like, oh, this is the match we're looking forward to. Like that kind of thing started to change a lot. It was more like the brand was on tour, you know, and not not so much. Yeah, that, that was that was the big shift in the 90s. It's just like, you know, WWE is coming to your town. Yeah. And, you know, you you presume that Steve Austin would be there and, and whoever else. But uh, you wouldn't I would think it would probably have been the late 90s when you just didn't get a lineup anymore. Yeah, I think in the, in the mid 90s. But um, I do know that they would always advertise if TV was coming to your town, they would advertise like a big match, but it would always be the match that wasn't on television. Like, you know, you're going to see Rock and and Austin versus Triple H and The Undertaker. Yeah, you'd be all excited, but it was a dark match. It wasn't actually on television. I want to say that those to sell uh, TV TV tapings. Yeah. And I want to. Yeah. Right. The TV tapings. I feel like uh, that was if I had a pinpoint that I would say it's about. 1997 and the only reason i could be that exact about it was i was literally going to every single house show those in those days if i yeah. missed the garden i went to nassau coliseum if i missed that maybe i went to the meadowlands like i was going at least once a month or every other month somewhere 
And that's when, and I remember even crazier than that, I went to, um, because even when I went to the early Raws, and even those would have a card inside yeah. the program of what matches were on. And then I remember I went to a Raw in uh, in the in the Attitude Era, 97, 98. It was a Raw at Nassau Coliseum. And they had the program. Inside the program was the sheet. But what the sheet did was it updated you on the storylines. It had nothing about matches. What? It, it it looked like one of those old, maybe someone can confirm this if they've ever seen this. It looked like the match sheet that you would get. But instead, sure. it, w- it would say things like, will Jacqueline get her revenge on Sable tonight after what she said to her last week and blah, blah, blah. Wow. Like that was on the card in the same way that they used to have the matches on the card. It, I found that a little depressing, but that, that was a change that happened for sure. <laughs> huh. Yeah, you know, it's like the, the business is totally different now. Uh but I, I think that um, I'm not one of those guys who thinks it's way better the way it used to be because it's hard to argue that when you look at, you know, how much the guys make nowadays. And, well, it's definitely better for them. Yeah, the ones yeah, that are making that money, and, it's better. I mean, even for us, we like wrestling. I mean, we get way more great wrestling now than we ever did just because there's so much of it. But, you know, there are definitely things from back in the day that that went the way of the Dodo that I think in many ways are not the worst things in the world and I, I brought it up a couple of weeks ago uh, in regards to AEW because uh, they have not been tearing it down in terms of attendance of late. No. And, you know, one of the things about AEW is they are trying to sell tickets based on the brand. And, you know, when they came here for uh, for the pay-per-view, the, the Inoki show, I mean, there was a collision on Friday night. And it was like, what's on the show, dude? What's on the show? It's like, we knew a match or two that had been announced on television, but we knew nothing else. And it really got me thinking that that one of the things that, that they should do is really what WWF did in the, in the mid-90s, which is they don't do a lot of rematches, you know, just to throw out a, a random match, Kenny Omega and Hangman. How many times have we seen that match? Not many. And we ain't going to see it anytime soon. But, you know, they could do the thing WWE does where it's like do a localized cut in for the show that's coming to your town and promise a big match they can't see. Boom. Yeah. You know, you tell people that AEW is coming to your town and you're going to see the Young Bucks versus FTR. I mean, you're going to sell some tickets for that match. Doesn't need to be a TV match, but do it the way WWF used to do it, which was here is, you know, Raw's coming to your town and The Rock and Steve Austin are teaming up in the main event. One televised, but if you bought your ticket, you were going to see a very special match with very, very big names. I think part of that is because in the beginning, when they first started, what was it? It's now like four or five years ago. Um, they, I think they were able to get away with that more because it was the yes. novelty of... Oh, my God, there's another major wrestling organization. Let's go see what they're doing. Like, that really was enough. But now, yeah, people are at the point like, okay, what are we going to see? And we've been seeing these shows now where, I mean, even people even talked about it with the Wembley one, which turned out okay. They got the, you know, but where like, who's who's wrestling who on this show? And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And I think another thing that they've been doing you know, because uh, I noticed this when I started going to some of their shows in my area. And like I went to a Mohegan Sun. They had a Rampage, very rare Rampage standalone taping at uh, Mohegan Sun. I think it was live. And 
I would venture to say it was less than half full. I mean, I was there looking around. Yeah. And even just from talking to people who were there and just people that are fans and regulars, even they were saying part of the reason is they they kind of linger in the same area too much. Like if you and I don't know if I bought this totally because I feel like if a product is hot, people are going to come. But, you know, they were saying how in the past month or two, they've been in the general vicinity of, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, like X amount of times. And it's just too many. It's like they're trying to get the same people to come out over and over again. But then my thought on that is, and again, I guess the business has changed, but companies never used to have trouble doing that. I mean, WWF would come to the garden every month, every other month, there'd be 20,000 people in the place. You know what I mean? So it's got to be more than just we're coming to the same venues too often, I think. Well, I think also it's like, I mean, this is the WCW story. I mean, when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not, you're just not, you know, when things cool off, everything's a little bit harder. When things are hot, everything's a little bit easier. But to me, I mean, forget AW, WWE, even forget wrestling. I mean, to me, it's just basic psychology in the sense of what are you going to give me to get me to leave my house and go to this event? What are you going to give me? And, you know, when I was a kid, because of the way the business was set up then, it was like, I watched primetime wrestling. I saw nothing. You know, they would have a main event at the end of the show and it would be like Rick Martel versus the executioner. And they'd build it up like it was this big match. That was the biggest thing you got. And then, you know, one day you see the event center and, you know, there's Sean Mooney or whatever. WWF is coming to the Seattle Center Key Arena. And then he starts rattling off. The ultimate warrior will be facing <laughs> ravishing Rick. And you're like, what? Yes. In Seattle? That's and you're so like, true. You're so excited that, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to see that. And then they start reading more on the card. And like, you know, by the time they're done, it's like you're begging your parents to take you because you're seeing something that you can only see if you go to this show. And and the thing I was saying about, you know, WWF in, in the late 90s, dude, Ron SmackDown were on fire in the late 90s, on fire. All you would have had to do is say Raw is coming to your town. And you knew you were going to get something special because it was raw coming to your town. But they still, they still would advertise that big, giant, mega match. Because if you were on the fence, if you were like, nah, they're coming to town, but, you know, I can watch it on on television. I don't have to go. I can see the show on, on USA. Well, wait a second. You will not see The Undertaker, uh, Triple H, and Steve Austin in a three-way. You're just not going to see it. And so then it's like, oh, man, God, I can't see that sitting at home. So I think that that's, you know, that's for that goes for AEW. It goes for WWE today. It goes for every promotion. Like, what are you going to give me to get me out of my house to go watch this show? Yeah. And, you know, with the amount of wrestling and how much is available on TV for free or cheap on Peacock, it's like I need more than just, hey, we're coming to town. We're coming to town for a TV taping. Bro, I can watch the TV taping here. And save on parking and, uh, you know, $70 to park Seattle, $70 to park there. So you better give me something if I'm going to pay $70 just to park. I used to get, you know, seats at the garden just off the floor, like beautiful, perfect seats in the 100 sections. And I want to say it was maybe like 30, 40 bucks or something like that. And now, like you said, you can't even park for that, for that amount anymore. And And then eat. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they've been, like you said, they've been de-emphasizing the reasons to get you. And that's I think that's across the board. It's all WWE, too. The, the reasons to get you out of the house, um, because I guess it's it, maybe it's not as important anymore. I don't know. I went to a SmackDown at the Garden um, a few years ago, three about three years ago, where it was John Cena showed up and it was completely unexpected. And he was it was the dark match main event and it was a tag match where you had John Cena and I forget who else on one side and you had Roman Reigns and the bloodline on the other side. This was like a pay-per-view main event, but here it is. It's a dark match on the SmackDown and they just dropped it in everybody's lap. And of course everybody ate it up, but the place was, you know, I, I feel like if they had let people know ahead of time, they would have exactly. gotten even more people in there. It was not a exactly. Sellout. So that is a, it is a weird way to do things you're right. And uh, I know that I, pro- <laughs> I know I promised we wouldn't dwell on modern wrestling, but it almost seems like. Well, the reality is modern wrestling and old wrestling. I mean, it's all wrestling. It's all connected. I mean, you know, things things have changed, but it's like, I don't know, man. It's all the same. It's 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 totally different and also exactly the same. And you can't talk about the past without looking at things today, and you can't look at things today without looking at the past. So, it's hard to have a conversation about only old school wrestling because we're still watching it today yeah it's in a different form there's all the connections and and like you said we're we're two people that you know are still watching and have been watching you know since the since the late 80s and and you know i think when you're watching that long you see more more of the connections all the time even as much as things change you still see those connections um over the years so yeah i mean it's impossible to just to, to to just compartmentalize it's very true but um but thanks for coming on and talking about all of it. I appreciate it. I know I know you have an insanely busy schedule and of taking notes on endless wrestling shows. Oh, God, no taking. <laughs> What's today? AEW notes coming up tonight. There's no break. That's the thing now. It's like, oh, my God, I, I don't know if you had the same reaction. And this is so against what it means to be a wrestling fan. When they announced Collision, I was like, no, because it's Saturday night. I was like, Saturday night is... Th- it's there's no wrestling. It's like a free night. I could I could do what I want. And I was like, oh God, no. Now there's a show on Saturday nights too. And then I stopped and I go, like, yeah, but I'm a wrestling fan. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. You know, you have some good matches on there. Yeah. But it is, it is, I will say, like uh I I watch nothing on Thursdays. That's like my one day where I can watch nothing. Right. And Depending on whether or not there's a pay-per-view Saturday, sometimes I can get away with Thursday and Friday without watching anything. Well, but then got... I have to watch a lot more on Saturday and Sunday to get caught up. But, like, you know, I can't not watch Monday. I can't not watch Tuesday. I can't not watch Wednesday. You know, I can't not watch, you know, whatever on the weekend. So you got you got to try to find a way to it's, – it's like now – People used to go out of their way to figure out when they could watch wrestling. Now I have to go out of my way to figure out what can I actually not watch wrestling for a day. Yes. Then I get back into it again. And Thursday, Thursday is my easy night where I only have to do a show, but not watch any shows. Yeah. Well, the, any, any kind of somewhat important shows are pre-taped on Thursday because it's Ring of Honor. It's Impact. It, yes. it's, a, it's a lighter night. Um, yeah, but you're totally right. When I first got cable, like I was saying, the first thing I did was look in the TV guide and like highlight any kind of wrestling that was on. So like what, especially if it wasn't WWF, I was like, oh my God, wow. There's all these, there's WCW, or there's ECW. There's this thing called uh, Global. Okay, I'm going to watch that. There's uh, IWCCW or whatever that is. Okay, I'm going to watch that. 
and I would just scour it for for wrestling. And now, yeah, as much as I love it, it's just like, oh, boy, it's a night without wrestling. Wow, it's pretty cool. Hey, it is much easier now when you don't have to program your VCR. Yes. And make sure the TV's on the right channel. That's right. Or if somebody or if somebody changed it on you or somebody was yes. watching something else and then it didn't record. Yeah, we, we, we've all been there. Those are the experiences the young fans don't have to go through. They don't have to suffer through. Things are right. things are better nowadays, kids. <laughs> well, Brian, I'm glad that we finally officially somewhat over the you know span of 3000 miles that we have met after 20 plus years. This yes. is everything I hoped it would be and and I'm thankful to Mike for making That's this right. happen. That's right. We got to thank Mike for uh, for setting this up and yeah, I had fun. Anytime you want to do it again, let me know. I mean, we didn't really talk a lot about historical wrestling, but I mean, there's a okay. lot to talk about for down That's the road. That's okay. I, I like to follow it wherever it goes. And so I'm, I'm grateful for you uh, doing that with me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. There you have it, folks. My long-awaited conversation with Brian Alvarez. Brian, thank you once again for taking the time out of your oh-so-hectic schedule to talk to me right here on Shut Up and Wrestle. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you will continue to listen to Shut Up and Wrestle. Next week's guest, episode 94, will be another of my Titan colleagues from 1241 East Main Street in Stamford, Connecticut. That's the address of Titan Tower, in case you were wondering. Talking about Andrew Wilson former WWE creative director, will be my guest for next week's show. Other guests in the weeks to come. This is one I don't think I've mentioned on here before, but it is going to be Busted Open's own Mr. Dave LaGreca coming to shut up and wrestle to share his strong opinions on professional wrestling with yours truly. So keep listening. Lots of other things coming in the weeks to come. Longtime wrestling fan and USA Network engineer for many years, Steve Dworkin will be here with lots of great stories of the WWWF in the 60s and 70s and a whole lot more. I've got great stuff planned for the 100th episode, which is coming up, and I can't wait to share with you the news of what that will be. It is in the works now. I'm also going to be bringing Mike Sempervivi back to the show to talk about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballot, this year's ballot. We have some opinions on that, and we will share them. So do keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle, and you can find it at our website, suawpod.com, as well as the usual places where you find podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., Join us in the Facebook group for Shut Up and Wrestle. Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. We are happy to have you there. My books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, as well as Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro, are on sale wherever you get books. And I've got some autographed copies. If you're interested, reach out to me at brianrsolomon at yahoo.com. While you're at it, if you're interested in contributing to the show, in showing your support in a financial way, please feel free to go to my Twitter, which is Brian R. Solomon. You will see a tip button at the top, and that will allow you 
to tip the show through Cash App or Venmo. And if you would like to do so through PayPal, you can get me on PayPal at Solomon at yahoo.com. The wrestling news every morning from Arcadian Vanguard. I'm proud to be a part of that as the news editor. Please do give it a listen. You can find it at thewrestlingnews.com as well as the YouTube page for Arcadian Vanguard. It's The Wrestling News. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, as mentioned at the top of the show, pwi-online.com, as well as Inside the Ropes Magazine, which you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, in addition to my Twitter handle, Brian R. Solomon, which I mentioned, you can also get me on Instagram at Brian R. Solomon as well. On Facebook, my author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my website out there on the World Wide Web, my author website. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that love means never having to say you're sorry. So long, wrestling fans. Hey,